Welcome back to Sysadministrivia, the podcast where we talk about incredibly lewd things right before recording. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Peyton. <laughs> Every time. I'll never get tired of that. So we've got we've got a really short episode uh, for this this recording. I'm sure Aaron appreciates it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, it probably won't be longer than, I don't know, 40 minutes for the final cut. I'd like to go right to Peyton for the news then. Hi, I'm Peyton with the news, and we're going to talk about some good things tonight. Not a lot, though, unfortunately. We've got some huge sites hit by ransomware for all you people out there. That's going to be uh, the, you know, uh, the uh, crypto locker and whatnot. The sites in question, it's rumored that China was behind it, but then there's apt, apt article, a kernel ownage has an article about uh, what could possibly have been a lot of, a lot of ransomware out there. Back your shit up. Git has a pretty terrible vulnerability. It's related to a buff, buffer overflow. And server and client side remote code execution. This is uh, prevalent to Git versions before 2.7.1. And in a surprise move, Windows 10 is installing on Win, Win 7 while users are away. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fun stuff. Not a whole lot happening, surprisingly. This yeah. month has been pretty quiet so far. That's a not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, you just opened a can. I did. PBR. Yeah, PBR. Damn it. <laughs> I'm drinking... You just get so angry about that. Yeah, I'm drinking Upslope Pale Ale. And I have Buckeye Vodka. By the way, fucking hipsters drink PBR because the can looks fucking old. I just drink it because it's cheap. But it's nasty, too. No, that's not that bad. It's not as bad as naturalized. That's that's I mean, true. You could buy, like, Coors Light or no, Yingling. No, Like, I'm so sick of Yingling, though. We've, we've talked about this. I live in PA. Yeah. I Yingling is just, like... Everywhere it's drilled into you, yeah, so that's, you're just like that's Coors Light here. Yeah, it, I don't know, man. It's pisswasser like uh, in GTA Five. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just totally blanked out. Oh right, right, right. So I did want to mention that we we touched briefly upon the whole Windows 10 updates being backported and shit in the season zero episode fourteen. Um, so it's kind of like a a logical progression for this whole nonsense, I guess. Like if you couldn't see it coming. I don't know. I, I think the whole free upgrade thing was a, a big indicator that they were going to be doing this. So, Well, and, you know, it started out, you get this nice little notification like, oh, you've been selected to upgrade to Windows 10. And soon it was, Windows 10 is waiting for you. And soon it was, upgrade today. And now it shows up in your optional updates in, in the Windows updater. And if you have your auto update set to... Uh, I'm jumping ahead a little, but, um, you know, if you have your auto update set to install all optional updates, well, your computer could restart without you, and all of a sudden, you're on Windows 10. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised if it start, if they start making it like a mandated update, you know, like a security update kind of a thing. Yeah, I could see that. There are so I don't know. there are rumors that some are being hit with, with what's considered a mandatory update. Um at least some people are. And didn't you, Jathan, mention that someone at your work got uh, Windows 10? The yeah, we upgrade? actually we had a ticket, and somebody basically said that Windows 10 was installed like unsolicited, like nobody told it to happen. They just sort <laughs> of came in one morning, and there it was. Like their computer wow. had just automatically updated. Did you did you confirm that they had um, optional updates selected? Uh, I I personally didn't really have much to do with it because I don't work desktop support. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there was some resolution. Was that someone said it? They were thinking of like suing M uh, Microsoft for that. Was that you or was that someone else in the channel? Yeah, I was joking around about okay. it mostly. <laughs> okay, um, but I mean, I could see it happen because, like where I work, there's a lot of various microscopes and other instruments mm -hmm. that have programs written for very specific versions of Windows, like. Some of the older instruments we have, which are still totally viable in science, yeah, they still rely on Windows XP to run, though. And it's like, oh, well, you upgrade and you could try something like compatibility mode, but chances are you may still be up the creek. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Um, and I think... It's just a shitty thing to do. That's yeah. what I think. <laughs> yeah. And really, like, you know how adamant I am about updating. But, yeah, there are some cases where proprietary software requires certain versions and things like that. Um, and I'm okay with, with version pinning, 
you know, your operating system and things like that, as long as it's air-gapped. And I think, you know, as, as long as you take proper precautions, I don't really see it as that much of an issue. It's when it's on the network that I have a big problem with it. Right. Yeah. You but, know, and I think the other interesting thing is someone today compared it to OS ten, because, you know, oh, well, OS ten is free upgrades and you're encouraged to do it and it, it pops up and whatever. But hmm. if you, you can opt out, you don't have to do it by any means. To a certain extent. They, uh, throughout the various subrevisions, they've changed a lot of system internals, like the way packaging works for software. So a lot of people are updating their software packages to match this new spec, that new versions of OS X. I always say OS X. I know it's not right, but it just uh, Yeah, it I do too, better. typically. I just said it properly because yeah, I'm yeah. on air. Um, sorry, Mac fanboys. Um, so, <clears throat> so, like... Software producers are, like, changing the, the way their software is packaged to match this new spec. But then that means it won't you won't be able to install the updates for older releases of OS X, you know? So right, right, that's right. not without, I guess, a warning. But Yeah, and, you know, OS X used to be paid updates, and so you didn't see mm -hmm. people update a lot, and you did definitely see more software that supported a wider range. Yeah. But I think that there's still a pretty wide range when you go to download most software for Macs. Especially now, because the releases are so few and far between, and I don't think the changes have been that significant in a while now. Mm -hmm. I think the last time we really saw compatibility break a lot was, I want to say it was Tiger to Leopard? 10.4 to 10.5, I think. We'll have to put that in the show notes. I'm not sure. Yeah, but we'll that, was, that was the one that I actually paid for back in the day because... I was to the point where things started to actually break. So, I forget which version it was, but for a while, the only version that worked on 10.6 was, uh, or 10.5 or whatever it was, was the beta release. And the beta release, of course, didn't work with older releases because of the packaging change right. I told about. So, yeah, it's not without warning. So I guess if you're going to do version pinning, do it carefully. But Definitely generally, true. it's I'd say it's better to, to upgrade. Do you use TunnelBlick? I... I mean, for the, the testing Mac I, I have, yeah. But that's just to test software and, and accounts and stuff for work. So Got it. I, I don't use it on a day-to-day -day basis. If Mac, if OS X was more friendly on the command line with uh, OpenVPN, I would definitely just use that because that's yeah, just my preferred there. mode. Yeah. TunnelBlix, arguably the best OpenVPN option for Mac OS X, so I don't really have much of a choice there. Mm -hmm. Plus, I have to learn how to support it, you know, to find bugs and stuff like that in case any of our users experience them. So, you know, you gotta, that's why it's a test box, you know, that's why it's segregated off and everything. Right. I don't know. We've, we've got a couple topics for tonight. We're already like 10 minutes in. So I still think it's going to be a pretty short episode because we don't have all that much to talk about in general. Sure. I do want to talk a little bit about the Git vulnerability. Because we'll be talking more about like some Git features later on too. We're going to be mentioning fuzzing which I'm kind of excited about. We are talking about why making uh, intentional backdoors or circumvention software, things like that, is a bad thing. Yeah. And we'll be talking about bring your own devices, which is always a fun topic. So let's let's start with fuzzing. Have either of you done any actual fuzzing before? Not exactly. The closest thing I could say is there's sort of some tools that come with Intel Parallel Studio mm -hmm. that will sort of look at your C or C++ code and evaluate things that could go horribly wrong. And depending on the degree to which they think you fucked it up, they actually will not try to optimize that code for fear of creating some kind of horrible memory leak or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of along these lines, but not really. Yeah. I've I've used it before. I tend to use it uh, on proprietary NetKit. So like consumer routers and stuff like that. Mostly just to harden it, because you, you never know when a bug's going to pop up, and it's better to know sooner than later. You do find some really interesting stuff if you find Telnet open, and uh, you just start shoving data at it. <laughs> you'll, you'll find some really interesting stuff that way. And a lot of a lot of like you know consumer and user type hardware is guilty of that kind of stuff. Fuzzing's it's it's really kind of cool. I wish I used it more. Jathan, remember that project you were working on with the RS two thirty two on the on the Raspberry Pi? Yeah, fuzzing would have been a great opportunity there 
because you basically only had to figure out two things and and how and figuring out how it parses the data in your python script so you could have thrown a lot of data in one format and then a lot of data in another format and see how it matches up fuzzing does have like non-security applications i guess and i'm gonna post a link in the show notes to like you know like a balls to the wall kind of a fuzzing guide i guess from start to finish and it's really cool because if you've never fuzzed before it'll it'll get you going really quickly and there's a lot of python scripts out there you can use all sorts of great stuff but yeah fuzzing's not just for network ports jesus what are you doing (laughs) what is that is he drinking yeah he he swallows really loudly (laughs) um Uh, i didn't know what you were talking about just now (laughs) we we could like we clearly heard it i mean if you could hear yourself right now i i do i listen to all the all the raw recordings no, 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 I'm talking about Peyton. Oh, uh, the fan? Yeah. Just like, well, we're, we're going to try and get rid of that in post, so it's, it's all right. Let's get back on topic, maybe, possibly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, fuzzing's not really just for network stuff. You can do it against, if you have like a, a standard in out interface on hardware, you can do it against that. You can do it against the, the serial connection for various things. Get creative with it, because you're going you're gonna to find a lot of really cool stuff. Like, hey, if I send this particular set of bytes, the thing reboots. I remember. I think it was maybe the second PumpCon I went to, someone talked about fuzzing a Zigbee-enabled pacemaker, which is just a, a terrible idea, but the guy was a willing participant, a willing volunteer, and they had, like, medical staff on the alert and everything. But, yeah, like, he he was like, oops, I accidentally just increased heart rate to match or something like that, and the guys started, like, you know, started to get the sweats and everything. So there's a lot of really interesting things you can do with fuzzing. Maybe be careful and don't, fuzz radio enabled heart pacemakers <laughs> at least at the very least not without trained medical staff nearby but yeah i i have a problem with that my mom has a vegas nerve stimulator and it's for her epilepsy and mm-hmm. and if it was radio enabled that could you know be potentially very very dangerous yeah and i her. i understand the the point of it like you can check up on the device get reports and status and everything without having to perform any kind of invasive surgery which is great but we're still it's 2016 and wireless technologies are still super insecure you know so you got to be really careful with that there's not really any proper way to lock that down zigbee bluetooth whatever Uh you know it's still a risk but you know i do want to state that the the volunteer for this was a willing volunteer he had signed liability forms they had trained medical staff on standby it's not something you want to do willy-nilly sure yeah and we're we're actually going to talk a little bit more about medical related compromises in a future episode so keep your ears open for that i guess but yeah my experience with fuzzing is is really pretty limited i heard a story about it once someone was they they had like a proprietary basically like a, a cctv recording solution mm-hmm. uh and they were trying to get into the shell because they noticed like it has shell open and they could tell that in and it would prompt for a login and he's like all right maybe i can fuzz this so he basically does a combination of fuzzing and brute forcing he does this for like i don't know a day or two maybe three days maybe a week and then he's like wait and I shit you not, this is this is the greatest. I, I can tell you guys off air who it was, and you should ask him to tell the story. But he, he's like, wait a minute. So he he telnets in, puts root as the user, and blank password, just hits enter, and he's in. What? After fuzzing brute force, like all these crazy attempts, he just tries a blank password, and that was it. And oh my god. <laughs> that reminds me of Windows 98. Wait. <laughs> Yeah, is this someone you know? Yes, but I'll I'll tell you guys more about him off air because um, I want to respect his privacy. Sure. Anyways, um, so yeah, it's so fuzzing super useful for testing netcat, and it's just really good practice to get into. It's gonna help you prepare for possible DDoSs. It's gonna help you find bugs and then report them. So hope you hopefully they get fixed. You know things like that. Interesting. Now I wanna I wanna finish with that unless you guys have anything else to talk about in regards to it. No, not really. <laughs> you sound so defeated. Just no. Really. Well, uh, it's an interesting concept. I'd be curious to get a, a suite of a few of these fuzzing tools that are pre-existing to yeah. see what they could offer. Yeah, I'll put them in the show notes, and then you just look there and, and give them a try. All right. Well, let's let's move on to to Git. 
Oh boy. So we've got like two sub. Yeah, we got two subtopics. We've I think we've talked about Git before, right? We talked about Git pretty in in depth. Yeah. Yeah. We talked Especially about Git Elite. Yeah. Or yeah. Git Elite or, or how, what, however it's pronounced. Which will no longer be a part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Jathan's uh, day job is we we talked about it today, and I I think he's going to move to GitLab from Git Elite. Oh boy. Which. You, which GitLab used to use Gitolite as its back end. Right, yeah. And and I was under the impression... So we had talked about this like a week or two ago, and I was under the impression that it still did. So I'm a little sad, but... Yeah, so buy Gitolite. Um, I love it, but if you have users that want the GitHub-alike experience without actually using GitHub, which I recommend, by the way, not to not use GitHub, to use a privately hosted thing, mm-hmm. GitLab is pretty awesome in that respect. Yeah, it's, it's got the shiny and... If you're supporting end users, sometimes the shiny really, really does help. So you know that's neither here nor there. But Git had a vulnerability. There's, there's two CVEs for it. I'll of course link them, but it's CVE 2016-2324 and CVE 2016-2315. They basically suffer from a heap overflow due to some maybe misused functions, and it's kind of an advanced attack. And the real I, I wouldn't say it's a real security risk because it does take it does require initial access. It also seems like it it, it requires that your repository has some certain characteristics mm-hmm. that would cause this kind of heap overflow or buffer overflow. Yeah, and I from looking at it, I think versions two point seven point one onward are fixed. I'm not sure about that, but you know, we'll we'll make corrections in the show notes if we need to, of course. But the, the end result, however, is pretty scary. So it, it allows server and client-side remote code execution. So that's a pretty big deal by itself. I mean, remote code execution is really... That's, that's almost worst-case scenario. Uh, the only thing worse than that would be a remote attack that would give shell, uh, root shell access. It's a pretty serious bug. But the, the prerequisites for meeting it, of course, are... are pretty limited Mm -hmm. so i guess just be careful who you give git access to uh as always make sure you you know you you are careful about who you give any kind of access to shell shell access anything so we'll we'll post the full tech right up on that in the notes but it's a bit of an interesting read because this is the, the first time in my recollection i'm not sure if it's the first time ever but it's the first time in my recollection that Git suffered from something like this because it's mm-hmm. it's pretty tight software. It's kind of clumsy in, in terms of the interaction part, but the actual code is pretty pretty clean. So this is kind of a big deal, I think. I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see where that goes. And then we've also got some some tips and tricks for Git. So they're like half of them are for GitHub and GitHub specific, which if you've listened to the show for any sort of extended period of time, you know, I just really hate GitHub because it's 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 just kind of playing into the, the whole DevOps shiny bullshit nonsense. It makes people too reliant on an outside service. Like what happened with SourceForge. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. Re- hashtag remember SourceForge. You know, like it's possible that GitHub can, can go down at any second and you're, you're more susceptible to like DMCA takedowns. There was a case where someone was pressured into removing their repository because it contained sensor circumvention techniques and things like that <laughs> by from China. Oh, so, really? Like, yeah, it opens yourself up to a lot of risks you normally wouldn't be risking <laughs> if you run your own public uh, repository on your own servers via like Seagit and, and GitWeb and things like that. So definitely look into that because it's, it's maybe not as hard as you think. Also, just learn how to use Git from the command line. Yeah. Yeah, that too. But the the thing there, Jathan, is if you want to share your code, and I, I fully support it, you know, but if you want to share yeah. your code, you should at least figure out how to run git daemon. Um, yeah, I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, there's that, but it's 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 kind of near to there. Uh, the article does, however, have a couple neat git tricks. So it talks a, a lot about reviewing the logs. I've known about the git log for a while, but it's a really handy bit where you can see what commits introduce what changes to certain files it it talks about removing cached files now this doesn't necessarily mean that the file is going to be completely removed from history 
there's some write-ups on that and i can even link to it in the show notes so if you like commit a key or something first of all i mean you're you're kind of fucked if you do so don't if you manage to catch it in time i guess before the 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 repository itself is made public or something there are ways to to strip it out completely from git but removing cached files is is pretty handy it saves some space if you remove a file and it's no longer relevant to the current revision you can remove the cache file so it doesn't keep adding itself essentially into the repo history you can it talks a little bit about merging and no merging search by the shasums all sorts of crazy stuff and it's pretty handy so if you use git a lot i recommend checking it out we'll link to it i don't want to go into all the tips and tricks here because it's their content and you know whatever well We'll see how this goes. I did want to talk about this, though. So we've ranted and continue to rant on, I, I should say, I continue to rant on Twitter a fair bit about the FBI versus Apple case. Oh, God. Everybody knows about oh, it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows about it at this point. It's it's. If you don't, very... you live under a rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you should get the fuck out of under there, oh. rock. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Uh, it's, you know, it's been in the news and things in our industry don't usually hit the news unless they're kind of a big deal. So I should tell you a bit about what's going on here. A big worry from people actually in the field, not even a worry, I'd, I'd say it's a valid concern because it, it's shown to happen. There was also hitting the news, there was a, a case of a compromise where celebrities' nudes were, were leaked. Again, you know, it, it happens, whatever. However... This one is is worth noting because the attacker used software that was specifically designed for police. It was designed as a law enforcement tool. You know, get information from these phones without uh, without direct access, basically. Ex- essentially, exactly what the FBI wants Apple to do. And FBI said, no, it, you know, we just want it for this one phone, which... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've sure. talked about how it's it's not. There there are already like at least twelve cases that the DOJ was once. It's like, hey, once you do that, can you unlock these phones too? We already talked about how that's just not true. A big issue is with these phones. If it works for one phone, it's going to work for all of them. You know, right. Apple's official testimony states within minutes they can modify a, a backdoor to work with any other phone, and that's that's an issue. Because now you've got cases like these where these tools end up in the hands of someone nefarious with with ill intent. And the FBI is going to be no different. You know, it's once it's made, it's out there, period. It's like putting news of yourself on the Internet. You know, like, don't always assume that, like, they're never going to be leaked or anything like that because (laughs) at least one person has access to it. And the way security is these days, more than one person likely has access to it. The, the sharing site you use has an admin who can probably fetch those f- pictures, you know? So, and we saw this with Snapchat, too. They weren't actually deleting history and, and uh, things like that, you know? So, like, time and time again, we're proved that what we think is safe is not. Well, and this software is a... a, a sorry, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. This software is a prime example of that, where it's impossible. It is literally impossible to write software that only one law agency can use for just one case. It's probably pretty unlikely, but what if someone who works at Apple is a is a criminal and would have access to that? That's something that's legitimately worth considering in my eyes. And that's how that's how these these types of software get released. Somebody gets yeah, and and money and... money talks too. If a group really wanted something Absolutely. that an Apple employee had, they would certainly try to convince them by whatever means they could. Or you know, the Apple employee leaves the the phone slash whatever on a bar bar top somewhere. Yeah, you know. well. <laughs> That's how we all know what the exactly. iPhone 9 is like tomorrow. I still think that was probably a publicity stunt more than anything, and Pro- was probably. like a, a staged plant. But whatever. But yeah, like people are fallible. It's our nature. It's okay, but you need to take that into account. Honestly, a tool like this. Imagine how much someone with a large amount of money. Imagine how far they would be willing to go to get it from an Apple employee. Russia, China. You know, like these are countries. They're countries, and they have a vast amount of, of resources at their hands. And the amount of, of money they would be able to, to throw at someone who could deliver this thing to them is astounding. Even smaller groups like mafias, you know, they have vast amounts of money available at their disposal for things like this if the payoff is going to be large enough. 
you know, I mean, and honestly, a guaranteed unlock of an encrypted iPhone, considering considering iPhones' uh, prevalence and you know how how touted they are and how prevalent they are in, in businesses, in in company use. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, people would be clamoring af- after that that really have no business being after that. Including including our own government. I, I, I it makes me so. really happy that big companies like Google and Facebook are standing behind Apple on this. And Microsoft, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's It, it makes all of them, Apple included, a bit hypocritical. But I will say that I'm, I'm glad that they're at well, least... Well, it's not just a tech this. giant. It's like four tech giants. Right. Right, and all of them are guilty of some sort of uh, privacy breach. Yeah, absolutely, to some extent. Some sort of lack of respect. Right, I am glad that, at least in this particular case, they're all trying to stress the importance of this, because hopefully that'll get them to sort of change their attitude. Well, the the last update I heard was that the Department of Justice is now just threatening to seize the source code if they're not actually going to get a new version of iOS. Uh, I have big problems with that. Well, so do I. I, I also yeah. wonder, like, if they could actually do that. I'd like to preface this by saying I am not a lawyer, and this is not legal advice of any sort, but from my understanding of current law, they are not able to legally do that. I, I think we saw sort of precedent with that with the SEO Unix mm-hmm. case uh, way back when. Do you think that it would be plausible for um, for the president to use an executive order to make it happen? That would be that would be a Plausible. serious breach of his powers. A yeah, but serious okay, breach of his yeah. powers. I don't disagree. I don't <clears> disagree. <throat> but we've talked about this before, so I'm taking a class right now called the American Presidency. You know, yeah. something we've talked about a lot is how people have used executive orders in the past, and unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on the situation, there's not really much written in stone about what is and isn't okay to do on an executive order. Yeah, we've 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 talked about this on the show, yeah, well. oddly enough. <laughs> so I don't I don't want to get uh, too political, but you have to take into account that just because he can do it doesn't mean he should do it. And well, not yeah, just from I totally get standpoint. that. We're talking public. We're talking Andrew public Jackson probably too. wasn't on a good moral ground when he decided the Trail of Tears was a good idea, but he did it. And and actually, Lincoln broke more laws than almost any other president with his executive orders. But people think he's a hero. I mean, he he removed the writ of habeas corpus uh, during his time, which... And that is actually explicitly supposed to be something only Congress can do. Right, yeah. Yeah, I I, I can tell you this, though. Strictly based on the leadership style and personality of Obama, our current president, I would say that he wouldn't. He seems to be pretty hands-off from the whole thing, which I think is pretty But he has a pretty strong opinion on it. Yeah, but he's policy-wise, he hasn't really... I don't think he's going to do anything. And we're starting to see kind of people waking up and being like... And realizing that the, the Patriot Act was some serious bullshit. I think he recognizes that as well. And I think he, he senses that the public opinion is grad, very, very gradually. But it is starting to change, I think, and realizing that the American people... Well, Obama, if that. you're listening, please so. use our contact form. Let me know what you're thinking and feeling. <laughs> President at whitehouse.gov sent you. hclinton at aol.com. <laughs> Fuck that. She's got a hot name. I know it. Yeah, sure. You betcha. Yeah, you don't really you don't really see. I see a fair amount of Hotmail addresses, but I don't see too much AOL addresses anymore. We uh, we went. To, I took the girls to go see uh, some animals at the local pet store. And they were having an adoption event there, and it was mm-hmm. a rescue event. I'm not going to tell you the rescue event name or who the, it is, but the email address mm-hmm. was the lady's name at aol.com. So I, you know, I was just like, really? yeah, there you go. Okay, you know, sure. Yeah, they're they're still out there, but like, they're a lot less prevalent than even they were. My grand, two, my grandfather, four years ago. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like people maybe over the age of seventy yeah. have them, but. So, lastly, and I, I think we'll probably spend the most on this, maybe. Um, oh, yes. Is bring your own devices. Because I, I want to, I don't know if I have enough to talk about this for a while, but I want to. Because Explain it's the a concept super important to me. Thing. What is this really referring to? <clears throat> Let's say you have on site company, you know, you've got a building, brick and mortar and everything. I, I telecommute, so this is not really that relevant to me because all of our employees are bring your own device. But so you've got, you've got a company, have, let's say, a, a network. And someone decides, hey, you know, I I need to get some work done. 
I'm going to bring my laptop or my phone or whatever and, and connect it into the network, be it wirelessly or, or through Cat5 or whatever. There's two big things with this. One is if that machine is compromised, say goodbye to your network, you know, because unless you've taken the proper precautions to prevent BYOD being hooked into your network, that's a serious breach of security because there could be anything on that machine. You can't vouch for it. It's not running your company approved antivirus, so you can't get any kind of insurance claim if you do get compromised. There are, by the way, insurance policies for being compromised. I don't know if anyone realizes that, but they're out there. Also greatly opens you up to the risk of theft, data theft. So bring your own devices also extends to like USB devices. Yeah, it's, um, it's any device that in you, fact, is yeah. not issued by you, by your company, yeah. I mean, is uh, technically a BYOD device. BYOD. That's that's right. Yeah. Device. Some of the most yeah, uh, yeah. like ATM machine. Like some of the most successful phishing campaigns, spear phishing, I should say, against companies are USB devices just scattered throughout a parking lot with the company's logo on it. And people are like, oh, what's this? And they'll they'll mm-hmm. pop it in, of course. And if it's running an auto-mount script, which pretty much is just a risk for older Windows versions, but the, the attacks are still out there and very popular and very effective, you know, th- that's instantly compromised. You know, that's an instant compromise right there. If you want to, like, social engineer it, you can put a file on there, like a .xls, let's say, that says current year .employee pay records .xls. They double-click on that because who wouldn't want to know how much their peers are making compared to their own, right? Yeah, everybody would. Everybody would. And that's usually a sign of employee frustration, by the way. They pop it in. They open that Excel spreadsheet. That Excel spreadsheet has macros in it that will do... Any kind of attack you want, because that's you can get some really nasty attacks from macros. Yeah, you'll get a warning, but people don't care because they really want to see what's on these records. So they click, okay, yeah, run the macro. I don't care. Uh, and boom. Oops. There's another compromise. So, yeah, so these kind of things have like an 80% at least success rate. Oftentimes it's, it's higher. And that's why you really need to think about a BYOD policy. Hell, rip USB <laughs> ports out of the actual workstations if you have to. You know? <clears throat> Don't run a wireless network if you have to. VLAN everything. Because once something's in there, it's going to be impossible to get out. You're going to find traces of it years down the line, you know? What was CryptoLocker being and, and so prevalent? I mean... <laughs> this is what happens, folks. You know, someone or or yeah. like an email campaign or something, but yeah, I'd, I'd say a really easy entry point is physical media. To, to talk about what you're, what we're talking about, I mean, BYOD. I I get issued a Mac, and I'm not like Jathan. I don't like my Mac. I I use it. Uh, I would prefer to use the really nice workstation laptop that I bought a few years ago. That's you know got a lot of RAM. It's got it's got a good processor in it, and it's got a nice screen on it. I prefer to use that. Plus, mm-hmm. it's got Arch. You know, that's yeah. that's what I would prefer to use. But I have to use this this Mac Mini that's not quite as good, and all the key bindings are different, and the commands are different, and you know, I would prefer to be able to bring my own, roll my own, what have you. Uh, they did let it; they they would let us boot camp it, but that's not that's something I have to do on my own time. Can't bring it home to do that. You know, I would prefer to be able to be be told. You know, yeah, sure, you can you can run your own system however you want to. Make sure it's secure or whatever, but that's I would like that I would like that ability is, is what I would like. And there we're kind yeah. of stuck with the conundrum, right? Like we want to keep our network safe and secure and protect against IP theft mm-hmm. and things like that, but we also want our employees to be happy and productive. And different people need different things to be at their maximum productivity. And of course, the some of the biggest issue with this is the CEO. I guarantee you, nine out of ten CEOs of brick and mortar buildings have a laptop they take home that they also use. At well, work. the funny thing is, is that we have a lot of employees who have laptops they take home that are issued. They they take them home and work with them from home. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of those people are Linux users, so they're using easier Debian or Ubuntu mm-hmm. or what have you. Still, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be compromised. You know? Yeah, yeah. There are risks out there, but. They were much sure. fewer and far. Sure. So, I mean, in reality, 
it's either an all or nothing kind of approach. You know, like you said, I mean, you can either yeah. you can either definitely do it this way and never have to worry about anything, or open yourself up BYOD or make people deal with what they've got. Yeah, and there are things you can do to lessen sure. the risk, of course, of, of BYOD. Like I stated, you know, turn off Wi-Fi. But then, then um, you have people bitch. Oh, I, and, I need my my phone needs to be yeah. whatever. You know, I mean. Yeah. Right. No, your phone doesn't need to be. Correct. Is, is usually my response, unless it's unless it's a corporate officer, and then you've got to then you've got to but deal with that's the thing. Further... I don't care what your title is in the company. The only person who should be able to say I demand Wi-Fi is is no one. You know, no one. That's a policy, yeah. and it needs to be set. Yeah, and needs no, to be adhered I, to, I, even by the C level people. I'm I'm totally with if you on gonna, that. If you're gonna. ideologically, but realistically, oh, yeah. that's a really quick way to lose your job, and it's it's a big shame that that's how it is. But that's that is how it is. Um, C level staff don't understand that you are trying to keep them safe. You're trying to keep the company safe. You're trying to prevent really bad right. things from happening to the company. Because you know what happens? When that when that shit happens, it all falls on us. People ask, why didn't you secure it? Why are You are held liable, not the CEO. Not the COO. Right. Not the CTO, even. The it all falls on the on the engineers and the, and the sysadmins. Yeah, it falls on us. So, trying to get a, a job after that, after the company almost inevitably folds <laughs> because of some huge compromise or things like that, trying to move on with your life and having that as a black mm -hmm. mark upon you is terrible. Also, I personally really care about what my company is doing. I love what we do. And I want to see to, I want to make sure that we are continually able to do it. You know, I don't want us to, to suffer any sort of risk. I want us to keep making the money we're making. Now notice I tweeted a little bit ago. The purpose of uh, ops operations isn't to make money. That's not what we do. That's sales. And, and the C levels really need to get this drilled in their heads. We don't, we aren't there to make money. What we're there for is to prevent you from losing money. We're there to help keep the money you have. Those are our objectives when it comes to economics and finance yeah. for the company. So don't don't expect your your operations guys to to be implementing shiny things all the time uh, because the sales guy wants it. Because we need to take the risk factor into account. We need to decide: is this going to make us lose money? Is this going to open us to a risk that will have the realistic potential of losing money or destroying the business we're not there to to make your lives miserable that's not our intent i'm sorry if that comes if it comes across like that sometimes i really am like but you need to understand that like we know the risks associated with some things we're trying to avoid those risks so if we do have any sea levels listening please keep that in mind um i really doubt we do but you know it would be great to to maybe write an open letter to the sea levels of, of the U.S. or something to to just state this, but we're we're doing it with best interest in mind. We're not just trying to to give you a hard time. Stop trying to make a special case of yourself because that really kind of undermines everything we work for and puts us in a really tough position. So the the thing that I was really trying to get at is that they come up with a policy. You know, you can only do X, you can only do Y, you can only do Z. Mm. And then the CEO or the HR or whatever, they want special privileges. They don't want to be a part of that. They want to have access to Facebook when no one else does. And really, the only person who should have access to Facebook is the person in, in marketing. You know, or, or, yeah, like, or if you have like a PR person right, or a social right. media person but, or whatever. Yeah, yeah you know, exactly. invariably, and we're talking about this with BYOD, you know, someone gets two new monitors. Well, someone else wants two new monitors. And so if someone has Facebook access, access then you know, they want Facebook access. And it's... And, I mean, it's it's like like I said earlier. I mean, it's either an all, it's an all or nothing kind of thing. You know, you you either completely locked down and and yeah. you only have this, or you know, you just let it go. I mean, in reality, how how secure can you keep your network? You know, are are you talking about are you going to do a MAC address tagging so that only specific MAC addresses can get on from a from a, a port? Which is even then sure. still sure max max moving. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's more about like um, sure. layers, you know, like like decreasing the risk. You're never going to be perfectly secure um, unless the machines right. are turned off. Right. So, 
it's definitely something I think to really consider. <sighs> so, um, yes, I got really quiet. Yeah, and uh, there's mm. a few because you don't want to lose <laughs> well, your job. There's a few things. So we don't really have much of a policy on this because we just use the same network that the rest of campus does. And if it's, if it's open to, I mean, we can block off like the wireless subnet or whatever, you know, if we can give access to hundreds of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands of students, um, why can't we have access just the same? So we don't really have any kind of wireless policy. There are certain machines, in fact, many of them, that you can't get to from the wireless. Uh, but a lot of them you can get to from the VPN, which is a campus-wide thing. And then um, I actually also just wanted to ask another question. Um, so mm-hmm. how about, uh, like, you're issued a computer at work and you're allowed to put anything you want on it, like in terms of a Linux distro or operating system. So you put Arch on mm-hmm. it because that's what you would do. You tie it into your own VPN. Mm-hmm. Is that Okay. I would say it depends on your policy. I'm a, if it's if I'm the one making the policy, I would say no, and I would try my hardest to block that at the firewall level. To to quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, which you probably still haven't seen, <laughs> life finds a way. So the the thing is like yeah, you can tell people no. You can take measures to try and prevent it on a tech on like a, a implementation level. Some people are really determined, and I'm speaking from experience. I may or may not have done exactly what you're talking about. But that was, you know, like, I worked from home. Yeah, and so that's the thing is, like, I'm not about to say that I do or do not do any of these things. I don't work from home, but we rely a lot on... So I work in a building at the University of Colorado, but we're, Mm -hmm. we're not really... I don't work for main campus IT, yeah. We we sort of communicate with them, and there's some things that they do for us, like they handle all the DNS and stuff like that. So, like, we request host mm-hmm. names from them. We also rely on their VPN, which sometimes there's nights when it's just like, what the hell is happening? And so it's like, well, do I really want to rely on that, or do I want to make sure that I have a way to get to what I need to get to? And that's, you know, yeah, that's, and that's not really my decision to make, but it's just an example, like, would of why someone would make that decision. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will say this. Um, if you have a reason to be doing it other than shady reasons you know really that's something your department head should set up for I you. agree and they should be the ones fighting for the allowance from their heads to do that so really what i'm saying is if you don't want users to try and circumvent it give them at least one option i like OpenVPN, for instance because it's very secure you can do a great job locking it down. You can tie it in with your existing authentication scheme so you know exactly who's logging in from where. And it's super flexible. It's multi-platform, you know? So you've got a lot of options here. And I think if, if your head gave analysis of the VPN and saying, like, look, it's actually down. Here are reports. Fix it, or we need to implement our own thing. Period. Right. You know? It does take a firm stance sometimes to get stuff done. Your your department head should be fighting for you. I agree. At that case, you know. I agree. I just wanted your thoughts on that because uh, it's a little different than bring your own device, but it certainly it brings some access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like bring your own access. Yeah, and kind I of could thing, see it being a bigger um, problem if you use like peer to peer on your VPN. You mean PPTP? No, 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 I mean like if clients can talk to other clients. Like it's oh, one thing if yeah, your workstation yeah, at can... work is a VPN server yeah. and then you only have, let's just say, one or two clients, but they can't talk to each other or whatever. And the reason I say is is why, if you need an alternate solution in place, why the head sh- department head should set it up is because then they can vouch right. for that. They can say, look, we have the server configured this way. You know, they could say, like, we've got a good option for our employees that want to do- be able to do this. And... Here's the specs. Here's the configuration. You know, like here, we, we are showing you, like, this is the exact type of encryption it uses. This is the, the, the type of addressing it uses. Here are the logs, you know. So it can be fully audited. The problem with outside devices and outside VPNs and things like that is they can't be audited right. by an internal source. So that's, I'd say that's the biggest issue with that particular uh, sure. instance. I can agree with that. Yeah. I can I can definitely agree with that. I mean, it's if if you if you can get permission from your department head and, and the network guy is okay with that and 
IT department is okay with it. And as long as you're not running, like like you said, like Windows XP and you've got Kazaa and PDP going, I, mm-hmm. generally speaking, it shouldn't be a problem. Bear in mind that, that when I said that, I, I feel like it's an all or nothing. If I was in place somewhere, mm-hmm. I would definitely feel that way. Being able to actually have that, like you said, I wouldn't have a job. You know, I mean, I mean, the CEO is going to want to have his own yeah. phone. He's going to want to have wireless. The HR is going to want to have Facebook. You know, so I mean, you're going to have to have a policy of sure, but don't abuse it. You know, and will that happen? I don't know. Even then, it, it's it's possible that it's open to unintentional abuse. So then that that ties back into something we've talked about in the past about training, really giving good training to your staff on social uh, social media attacks and phishing attacks and things like that. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna open yourself up to that, at the very least, please make sure they're trained. Oh, and if you do run a VPN for your company, please, 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 don't please <laughs> don't be lazy. Well, no, no, no. Well, that yeah, but I mean that's kind of expected as <laughs> as per the job title. But like, please, 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 don't be lazy. Don't just set a default route to be pushed. Use selective routing for internal resources or or internal subnet or something. Like, don't just. Oh, it, it just bugs me to no end when people just push default routes for the staff VPN. Because number one, it's a bandwidth waste. Number two, it's a huge invasion of privacy for your employees if you if you are opting to do this. So respect your employees, respect your own company's resources, use selective yep. routing. I can agree with that. I think that's all we really that's all we really have for this episode, right? I have I have something to say. I've got two things actually. One probably should have gone at the beginning. Aaron, our editor, who I have not talked to in some time now. Uh, first of all, he's been doing a pretty good job. I like his comedic relief that he throws in. But also, he's been doing this really helpful thing where after he edits for us, he sends us a nice summary of like how we can each yeah. improve personally for each time. I don't know what the hell is happening with Peyton tonight, but compared to last season and especially <laughs> our first few episodes, our audio quality has gotten a lot better. I hope you guys know that and appreciate that i know it's something that i'm pretty proud of because my mic definitely sounded a lot worse last season yeah if you're if you're a new listener go back and listen to like early season zero episodes and you'll hear a huge improvement in in jaython's quality uh, thank you aaron um number two fucking contests so (laughs) i'm getting busy because i like to pretend that i'm internet famous and I tell people all the time, like, my boss will be like, go do this. And I just look at him, I'm like, I don't want to. I'm internet famous. And, of course, he just looks at me, and like, with one of those looks, like, you better go fucking do it. But it's still fun to try to play it off. In any case, I think we do a good job providing content for you guys. I think we do a good job bringing perspective to the table. And though we do feel really strongly about some things, I also think that we try to present all the sides if we possibly can, even if we don't agree with them. Mm. We're not asking for a whole lot here, but I really want to see the day when we have listeners that give back and communicate with us. And, you know, we have plenty of people that are consistently in IRC, and that's great. This contest thing is something that we really want to see take off. And the very first one was just rehashing your favorite quote from some of our past episodes. And we still only have one response. So um, yeah. for me personally, I would really like to see some responses. I would like to see, even if it's from season one at this point, it's better than just not having any responses, I think. I agree um, with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, uh, just get involved. Uh, if you aren't in our IRC channel, even if you just want to say hi, use our contact form, find us on Twitter, whatever, send us a message, just let us know how you're doing, what you'd like us to talk about, whatever it may be. The big thing here, though, is the fucking quotes. I'm getting pissed off. The fucking quotes. I want some quotes. I want you to send us quotes. I want you to tweet us quotes. I don't fucking care. Just send us some quotes. He's... he's... <laughs> yeah, Jason smash. Jason smash. Jason smash. <laughs> but really, like, we, we want to see this contest thing take off. And in order for it to be successful, we need to hear from you guys. And if you happen to be in tech... And want to maybe share us with some of your peers? That'd be awesome. Great. That would be super great. Also, if you're in tech yeah. and you have something to contribute, we like to have visitors and guests on the show. Uh, not every week, mm-hmm. but certainly it's been a while. So, who's the last person we had? Liz, right? And then Liz. No, no, no. no. Uh, your buddies for the, distro for the, the and then distro the shit show yeah. last yeah. finale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so cool, seriously, yeah. if you have something to contribute, be it a topic that you want us to cover. If you want to be on the air and you have something that 
you legitimately want to say and you don't want to just, you know, be like me, reach <laughs> out to us. Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, IRC, email, fucking send me a letter, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we, we make it really easy to get in contact with us. We've got all our info on the contact page. I think I even have an IRC applet, which apparently doesn't work on tour, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we've we, we try to make it really easy for you guys to to get in contact with us because we love hearing back from you. I know I definitely, at the very least, come off as a huge curmudgeon. And I am. I'm an asshole. But I'm a friendly asshole. I'm not going to be an asshole towards you, if you're, especially if you're like a, a new listener or something like that. So at the end of the day... We do this thing because we want to teach. You know, we want to we want to open people's eyes to what we go through and and important things affecting technology because technology is pretty prevalent. Yeah. And you know, so. I don't want to say that I'm I'm in this for the wrong How's reason necessarily. <laughs> I, I honestly think that for me, at first when we were recording, we just had no effing idea what we were really doing. We kind of just we mm. wong it. We were winging it. We wong it. And uh, we won yeah. it. <laughs> we fucking won it. And um, won it. <laughs> You know, we had some great laughs over my roid rage early in season zero, whatever. I think for me, the most fun so far has been meeting new people and talking about Mm -hmm. whatever. We don't even always, I mean, most times actually, I'd say we don't really talk about Linux and tech stuff or whatever. We just kind of ramble on on IRC and have a good time. But, you know, it's people that listen to us and occasionally someone will bring something up about a certain episode or whatever. It's fun. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. The only real yeah. unfortunate contact so. I made is with Peyton. So, <laughs> and you, and you love that. And now he's a co-host. <laughs> Wasn't my idea. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I think that's that's a good place to close out. At. Yep. What I do think you guys uh, have? we actually stretched this out, so that's good. Yeah, I think we had a uh, just over mm-hmm. an hour. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hour and. Uh, I showed minutes. two minutes. Two minutes. Well, this is Sis Administrivia signing off. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Peyton. All right, we'll see.